Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to note that it contains discussions of miscarriage and loss. So if you think it's going to be difficult to listen to, please choose another episode. And welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is the most decorated female sailor in Olympic history. That is a mouthful and amazing. She's also the founder of the Big Plastic Pledge. She's a mother of one little girl who's 10 months old. It's Hannah Mills, OBE. Hi. <laughs> Do you like the fact that OBE is now added to your name? You can't have it without... <laughs> You can't, you can't. No. No. I find it, yeah, it's bizarre. Completely bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy that you put it on there, so thank you. I, I feel like if you've been given it, you should absolutely use it yeah. at all times. <laughs> if you're introducing yourself, you should always have OBE at the end of it. I think it'd be weird if I introduced myself as Hannah Mills OBE. I think I you think, should. Okay. <laughs> I'll take that forward. Thanks. Yeah. If we're ever out together in the future, That'll I be will me. be like, this is Hannah Mills OBE. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> 
How are you? I'm really good. Busy, busy few months. Yeah, loving summer at home. I'm always away in the summer, so it's nice to be home for quite a long time. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. How does it feel to be the most decorated female sailor? I think of sailing as that thing of a nice little, you know, little jaunt down the river, nice little, my dad's got a little barge boat and it's all very, you know, calm and lovely. That is not what you do. It's not quite what I do, no, but that is a great element to sailing as a mm-hmm. sport. There is that and then there is very competitive Olympic level sailing as well. So yeah, it covers everything. It's bizarre. You know, when you start out as a wanting to be a professional athlete and wanting to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal, at no point are you thinking, I want to become the most successful person or female at doing this. So yeah, when you add it all together and quite a long career of Olympic sailing, it's mental. Yeah. Yeah. But you literally get chucked around on a catamaran, essentially. Is it a catamaran? I do now. Yeah. 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 So Olympic sailing, I was in a um, dinghy called a 470. So it's two people. Right. Just one hull. That was quite different to what I do now, which is called Sail GP. I'm racing around on a 50 foot catamaran that flies out the water and coils <laughs> going almost 100 kilometers an hour, which is just unbelievably and there's amazing. G force. A lot of G force. Yeah. I remember getting on for the first time. And turning a corner was just like, hold on, you know, you are properly fired against the side. It's, yeah, the boats are phenomenal, amazing. It sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it definitely can be. The racing is like tiny courses, all 10 boats jam-packed, Yeah. short races, so it's really intense and you're neck and neck and neck kind of the whole way around. So, yeah, it's those speeds, it's pretty full on, but, yeah, it's unbelievably cool. And did you grow up near the water? I grew up in Cardiff, so there is water there, but I actually learned to sail on a little reservoir near home, which had this amazing little wooden shack and hangar where all the boats were. And it was just great. Like, I begged mum and dad to take me down as much <laughs> as I could, and there was just an awesome community there. You could jump in boats and have a laugh. And a lot of my friends now are still people that I met there growing up sailing. Was that a massive part of your childhood then? It was. It was sort of the start, I guess, of everything that's followed, and it was cool. So did you ever think that that could be something that you actually turn into a career? I was probably a bit weird in that since the age of eight, I wanted to go to the Olympics. I remember watching the Atlanta Games on the telly and just going, oh my God, I want to do that. I was always really competitive, loved sport, loved all sports. Didn't really care what I went in, I just wanted to go to the Olympics and then found sailing. Once I realised you could race sailboats, I was like, oh my this is what I want to do. <laughs> then I realised it was in the Olympics and that was it. That was me set, I think, at about 11. Really? Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, how did that impact your childhood, though? Because I know, like, the swimmers say that they have to go and they're there all the time and they're, you know, diving and whatever else. What is that like as a child who wants to, you know, sail? Yeah, I mean, it's not quite the same as something like swimming mm. where, you know, you, you can go every single day because obviously with school, we couldn't sail every day, but it was every weekend, right. you know, as much as I could possibly get out on the water or in the summer after school and the late evenings. And yeah, my parents were just unbelievable. We had a really good network of like four families who lived in the same area, sort of grew up at the same club and they'd share the role, you know, they'd each take a weekend on and and take the kids and wherever we could go to compete or, you know, find the best people to sail against and just get as good as we could. That's incredible. Yeah. What a, like, such a different childhood. It was amazing. I look back and I'm just so grateful to my mum and dad. Like at the time, you don't necessarily think about it, just what you do. And yeah, I look back now and I'm just, yeah, it was unbelievably amazing of them to allow me to to do that. Mm. Did you ever look to your future and think about having a family? 
Yeah, I think I did in a sort of abstracty way, I guess, because I was so um, determined as an Olympic athlete that that's yeah. what I wanted to do. But I always imagined having a family, if that makes sense, but never quite sure how it yeah. would fit and how it would happen. It's always been in the back of my mind, but never sort of clear how. Because it must be hard, because obviously with the Olympics, you have clear times where you have to, you know, be really training and you've always got to focus. So factoring in motherhood within yeah. that... What the effect that it's going to have on your body, on your mind, on your emotions, on your focus. There's so many unpredictable things that can happen within that. And I imagine as an athlete, everything is quite controlled to a matter of, to a certain extent, you have to know your body. So to give yourself over to that and to time it in a way must be such a hard thing to even factor in. It is 100%. You kind of nailed it all there. You know, the Olympics is just all consuming. Mm. It's everything. And with sailing, you're away quite a lot, training and competing because you want to train with the best and yeah. so you go where they are and, and everyone worldwide kind of congregates to different places to train together which is probably quite unique as a sport yeah. so there's a lot of travel involved so for me Olympic sailing it never felt like the right time to have a baby and I mean I don't think it ever feels like the right time no. it didn't even when we decided to try it was yeah. like oh, it doesn't feel like the right time but now you know we'll figure it out basically <laughs> you know um but I did wait till I'd finished my Olympic career yeah um, so I waited till after the Tokyo Games and then uh the rest is history in a way that almost just felt like such a massive leap yeah it that. was huge you know everyone talks about the Olympic blues and, and after the Olympics as an athlete you really lose your identity because what next and yeah. you're kind of figuring out life I guess after Olympic whatever your career in the Olympics is you're figuring out life and I was lucky enough to get offered this role in Cell GP with the British team straight after the games and for me it was like the perfect stepping stone because it was sort of professional sailing it was all about gender equality and pushing women forward in sport a lot about the environment and purpose and impact which is all things I'm hugely passionate about done a lot in my Olympic career mm. around and so I was like yeah I want to do that but equally, I was like, I'm trying to have a family. Yeah. And so how does that fit? And so I was, I jumped into CellGP and the British team and Ben Ainsley, who's the CEO and, and driver of our boat, the most successful male Olympic sailor <laughs> of all time, which is kind of nuts pairing. as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of welcomed me with open arms. And early on, actually, I'd done one event with the team and I kind of went up to his house and said, look, I really want to be a part of this and I think I've got a lot to offer, but I also really want to try and have a baby. That must be a really big conversation to have, like for anyone with any employee to kind of go and say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Most people don't have to say until they're pregnant and they're 12 weeks in. But actually as an athlete, do you feel like you owe that to the team to have that as part of the open conversation as well and not to shy away from things that are life. Yeah, I 100% did. And I told him about I'd been pregnant for three weeks, super early. As soon as you could find out, I'd found also, out. Also, doing what you do, there's a risk element. Exactly. So you have to I take... couldn't get on the boat. Yeah. You know, I just, I just couldn't get on the boat. And so um, I told him really early and it was kind of just the most amazing response. Really? Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was, right, well, what do you need? How can we help? you know, we'll be here when you're ready to come back and support you in doing that. And I just remember feeling like this such relief and excitement, I guess, about the fact that I could go and do this, have a baby and then come back and the team would be there to support me in doing that. And Cell GP, actually, the league were incredibly supportive as well to make it all happen. So it just felt like this breakthrough in elite sport and this amazing sort of opportunity to showcase how it can be done. 
um, and showcase that route back for women. And I just think in any sector, if you value your female employee and they want to go and do this amazing thing and start a family, then you should make every option possible for them to to stay involved and and come back. Mm. Um, And this was kind of an amazing example of that. Yeah. How did it feel when you first found out you were pregnant? When I first found out I was pregnant, I was relieved um, (laughs) because you just don't know if it's going to be possible. So I felt a huge relief. I felt unbelievable excitement and complete and utter terror (laughs) because I'd I'd always been just, I couldn't see how the baby was going to get out. (laughs) If I'm being honest. Oh, my God. I know. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) So, yeah. I love that that's the first thing that your mind went to. (laughs) I know. It's going to come out to me now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It was. It was just like, oh, my God. But, yeah, just all of those feelings. Yeah. Elation. Had you had symptoms leading up to you taking the test? Or was it just because you Well, in hindsight, I had. Yeah. (laughs) I was really grumpy and and not the (laughs) nicest person to be around. And then I to the pregnancy test and it's like oh that makes sense I do like you yeah okay cool <laughs> that's not who I've just become great <laughs> there's a reason um yeah how was the pregnancy after you found out well yeah I'll, I'll be honest so that I had a miscarriage to start with so I first got pregnant and then we lost the baby like nine ten weeks in I'm so sorry to hear that yeah so that first pregnancy I was excited I just couldn't believe it to happen you don't necessarily think about anything going wrong no the first time around it's spoken about more now but it's not spoken about that much how much it happens Mm -hmm. so wasn't necessarily on my radar and then obviously it did happen and it was awful (laughs) I spent you know, a month at least so down. And you don't know who to turn to because I didn't know anyone sort of who'd had it happen to them. And so it was really, really hard, actually. And then I felt really scared about trying again because I was like, I just don't know if I can go through all those feelings again. And we were very lucky that when we did decide to go again, we got pregnant quite quickly and it was all good pretty much. How did it feel, though, finding you were pregnant the second time? Like you were saying, the first time, it's full of that joy... There's an innocence to it. There's a naivety. And yeah. actually, second time round, you're knowing that mm. time going into it. And there's the, for me, at least, I felt like there was a fear attached to that. Massive fear, yeah. It completely changed my pregnancy, I think. I didn't really enjoy it. I spent the whole time really nervous. Yeah. And, you know, you get to the point where you start feeling the baby move and then got all the scans to go to. And every time you're just hearts in your mouth, yeah. just hoping that it's all fine. And, once the baby starts moving and you have times where you're like, I don't think they've moved as much. And so mm. you, you're just straight to panic. But I was very lucky with the support from the NHS and the maternity ward down in Poole. And they were incredible in supporting all of those kind of moments of panic. And yeah. um, it wasn't a very nice journey, to be honest. At the end, all you care about is that everyone comes out of it all OK and healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine, though, having the miscarriage as well, it must have felt like a especially in terms of where you were with your career as well, kind of you're starting on one journey that you've prepped for, you know what this is going to look like, and then all of a sudden just that pause. What you do with that time in between must be really tricky as well. It was really hard because as an athlete or a competitive person, you kind of have things mapped out and, Mm. you know, you can't map out life necessarily, but you can have an idea of what you're trying to get to and what you're trying to achieve. And so I'd sort of thought, I'm pregnant, that's amazing, great, we'll have the baby here and then I can think about coming back sailing here and, and plan all of that and then and then yeah that kind of all gets 
blasted away and it's just now a what if who knows yeah. what's going to happen and that uncertainty is for anyone is is very hard yeah mm. so with the next pregnancy do you feel like you almost didn't let yourself go there because of the pain before yeah a hundred percent yeah I just day by day took yeah. it as you know every day was a bonus and... I felt like toilet trip by toilet trip <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah totally totally because you're always checking and always worried about what you might see or find or feel yep yeah it's a long old 40 week or whatever it and imagine out as well be. being an athlete you know your body like mm. any twinges or anything must really be amplified you do. Well. You do know your body. But I think, you know, the other thing with pregnancy is you lose complete control over your body. Not, yeah, that and must so, be so, so. Is that a really overwhelming feeling? It's quite overwhelming. Yeah, like you're suddenly a lot more limited in what you can do. And, you know, I felt like I was just so big at the end. And I, <laughs> I literally could barely, I could barely walk. Like I was, my hips were just so sore. And But it was a mindset for me. It was very much, and maybe that's where the sort of athlete mindset comes in. It was like, well, this is what I need to do to prepare and have the best possible chance of the baby, so I'll do that. And the fact that I couldn't do all the things I normally could was was fine. It was kind of just, okay, what can I do and what's the right thing to do? And so I just kind of took that mindset to the pregnancy. To just... You've got extreme fatigue as well at the start. I did, yeah. I, did. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I blanked that. Right. Oh you've, you've said God. it somewhere, so I know about yeah, it. Yeah, it was just the first three months, yeah. Really? I, I was on the sofa just... I remember we were in a top floor flat at the time. And we were really close to the beach, which was amazing. It was sort of all downhill. And I remember I got down to the beach to have a little picnic. I couldn't get back to the flat. I was just exhausted. <laughs> I got remember getting back to the flat and I just passed out for about two hours. I've never felt so fatigued in all my life. Yeah. And then suddenly you're not fatigued and you're like, oh, my God, life has possibility again. <laughs> but, God, it, it made me have so much empathy towards people that are dealing with that, you know, mm. regularly because yeah. people do. And, yeah, it's really tough. And on the team, they found you a new role during they your did. pregnancy. Yeah, they did. So I still went to a lot of the events until about sort of six and a half, seven months right? with the team. And I was sort of on the water helping coaching, supporting our coach, but then also really getting involved with a lot of the sustainability projects that we had going we have a lot of um, activation with schools and engaging kids so yeah I kind of took on all of that stuff which was amazing That's and incredible. I loved yeah it was uh, great. I think especially when as a sport having women and men together are you the first yeah the first at LGP to have a baby we've got I think two more people really one's just had and one's about to have um... so you're kind of paving the way as well and I guess there's a bit of experimentation within that as well to make sure that everyone still has a role still feels valid still is able to give the wisdom and the skill set that they have to make the team stronger. Exactly, and definitely felt with the journey back to competing, I was like, right, I'm doing this and figuring this out for everyone who comes next yeah. um, because there was a lot to figure out <laughs> with all the logistics and breastfeeding and, yeah, all of that stuff yeah. whilst obviously competing. You certainly made a massive impact because Fee, who got in touch about <laughs> you to be on, I actually wrote it down because you said you're the most determined and inspirational athlete she's ever worked with. That's pretty mental. <laughs> but and that, the effect that you've had on the whole team, you know, I think we can be sucked into thinking that a team is literally those people that are on the boat, but actually there's such a huge wider team around you. You know, to know that you're having that impact on everyone there is massive. It's huge. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, the widest LGP team are incredible yeah. and definitely all the women 
in that team and a lot of the men have been unbelievably supportive and it just shows like if you've got the right people in an organization you can really make things different and, yeah. and make things positive for everyone yeah how did you feel heading towards the bath Oh my god, terrified! Yeah, as we touched on earlier, terrified. <laughs> oh my god, from, from day dot, it's better than you'd ever thought about before. Because obviously, yeah, again, just being an athlete, you trust your body, you know what you you do. But this is a whole new thing. To prepare for. I mean, I was just couldn't imagine how it was going to happen and how she was going to come out. I was so scared really? of, of it going wrong. Yeah, I, I just had this fear that I couldn't quite put to bed. Yes, yeah. and so. I think around 30 weeks we went in for a scan because I'd had a couple of times where I was like, I don't think she's moving. So I'd gone checked, got checked and they were like, okay, come in for a scan just to make sure. So I did go in and, and they were like, oh, her tummy's really big. And I was like, well, what does that mean? But they didn't really tell you. Yeah, they just, well, it's an observation. It's just an observation. Well, You're thanks. like, all right, cool. So then you Google and you yeah. see all the worst possible scenarios and things. Anyway, they said, look, let's monitor every two weeks. So let's have a scan every two weeks. And I got tested for gestational diabetes and that all came back clear and, just every week it was like, yeah, she's got a big tummy. She was in like the 97th percentile or something. And so I was like, oh, my God, seriously, how is she coming out? I had quite a lot of friends who'd been through different births. A lot had been induced and not had a good time. And a lot had ended in emergency C-sections. Yeah. And anyway, towards sort of 35 weeks, I just remember thinking, I, I think I want to have a C-section. I just I feel so uncomfortable about this whole thing. And yeah. I just want her to come out as safely as possible. And to me... I guess, taking some of that control yeah. as maybe my athlete kind of career sort of pushed me towards. It just felt like I want to explore this and really understand what happened. And so, yeah, I did end up booking in to have a planned C-section. The whole way through, you know, I was always of the mindset, I just want her to be okay. Towards the end, I just felt like this is the path I think I want to take. So, yeah, that's how she came out. How many weeks was she? She was 39 and three days. Um, because, That's quite late. Were yeah, you worried? Because I knew she was big yeah. or bigger. You know, I wanted a planned C-section, but at the same time, if she wanted to come out naturally before the due date, then yeah. that was also fine. So we sort of pushed it as late as we felt comfortable with. Yeah. And then if she hadn't come, we'd just have the C-section and, yeah. and that was that. But it was actually a bit nuts because the week before they sort of book you in and say, right, you're going to come in on the Wednesday. You're going to come in for your pre-op here and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, cool, perfect. She's coming out on the 13th or 12th whatever it was of October and then a couple of days later it was like oh could you come in on the 11th actually we wanted to do it. I was like okay fine she's coming out on the 11th great and then the morning of the 10th when I was supposed to go in for my pre-op the yeah. day before I got this phone call at 7 30 a.m and I was like oh it's from the hospital oh god and they were like oh um I've actually got space today do you want to come in and I was like today I was gonna have a haircut Nick my my fiance was gonna go and play golf for the last time in god knows how long and and I was like give me give me five so I hung up and I was like today Nick and he was like yep let's do it let's do it so in we went oh my god it was just this whirlwind yeah and she came out on the 10th Ah, oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, unexpectedly early. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that. Unexpectedly early, thanks for a phone call. Yeah, as exactly. Well. I, I know. love that. Crazy. How did it feel going into surgery, into the operating theatre? Oh, terrifying. Yeah, because it's a major operation, of course. The epidural, I'm not great with needles. Luckily, you don't see it. But yeah. um, a bit unfortunate, I think, that I had a trainee anaesthetist with obviously the consultant next to her, but I had her trying to 
put it in my back and she couldn't get it in. So I kept getting jabbed. And at the end, I was like, I just, I can't do this anymore. Really? I can't. And so the consultant lady stepped in and did it straight away. That was all fine. But also, yeah, I think probably the fine. fact that you can't see it in that circumstance mm. as well must also oh. make it worse if they keep trying. Yeah. A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, I was, oh, I'm not good at the best signs of stuff like that. But again, the old athlete mindset came in and I was like, it will just all be over at some certain point. And it's always when I'm like doing a really hard training session or something, you're like, this will be over in 30 minutes or half an hour or an hour, whatever it is. And you just set your mind on that and just go. And it was kind of the same thing. It was like, I know this will be over and whatever will happen will have happened and there'll be an end point. And so you just get to that end point. And so I definitely had that that kind of <laughs> mindset of it will be done. <laughs> so once that bit was done... Really ceremonial here, aren't <laughs> I? <laughs> no, it's God. good. It's, but also it's so important that people hear different, like... So even everyone's if they've different. been through it, everyone's different. And it might be that someone's listening and they had a similar experience and they've not heard anyone else <laughs> in the same boat. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's good. So when that part was done, how was the actual C-section? Weird, yeah, because um, I had a curtain up because I didn't really want to see. But you can feel it. It doesn't hurt, obviously, yeah. but you can feel them sort of rummaging and then pulling her out, and I actually felt her come out. And so it was, yeah, it was bizarre, but quite amazing, really. And then, yeah, she sort of made a coughing sound, and so I was like, oh, okay, she's she's okay, and that's great. But then actually quite quickly it was like, okay, she's sort of fine, but she's not getting enough. Her lungs weren't properly opening and closing, right. and so quickly kind of took her away and, and also at the same time I'd lost quite a lot more blood than they thought and so then there was a bit of a panic as to how much blood I'd lost and so it was all going on Nick was sat right there and he was like how do I go with the baby or yeah. do I stay here and, and so he initially went over to Siena and then kind of came back to me and sat with me for a while and then he went off to see Siena and so yeah it was all a bit mental but I was pretty out of it to be honest really yeah I was I'd lost like a litre and a half of blood or something so it wasn't I don't know a reasonable amount but yeah. what was unbelievable was they put 300 mil of my own blood back in no yeah I was just like what so they were like yeah so we obviously sucked the blood out put it through this filtration cleaning thing and they got 300 mil that they could then put back into me it was amazing oh my gosh yeah unbelievably cool that's incredible. It was incredible, yeah. It was incredible, yeah. So then, yeah, we spent three days in the hospital um, with Sienna sort of being observed and she got pumped with antibiotics and she had amazing care. Uh, I'm guessing she, as well because of that start that it meant that you didn't get to hold her. So they really quickly kind of brought her over to me and put her on her on my chest right. and, then, and then took her. So I did have that kind of immediate moment, but... To be honest, it was all just such a blur yeah. and it was all just do what you need to do. That's fine. And as I said, I was really out of it yeah. and went up to my own room and kind of had all the stuff I got pumped with just to make sure I was OK and and went to see her kind of a few hours later, which was amazing. Mm. And how long until she was with you, with you? I think 48 hours she was on sort of an antibiotic drip just to kind of make sure she was all good. And then slowly they reduced the sort of oxygen they'd putting into her for her to kind of breathe properly on her own so yeah and then I think she spent maybe 12 more hours there just after she came off of all of that to make sure all was good mm -hmm. um and then all was good that must have all been so terrifying though to go through yeah it was and just surreal to be honest and just feels like such a blur but like I said the care was amazing really absolutely amazing yeah midwives and staff were just phenomenal mm. very lucky Thank you. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. How long until you could actually leave the hospital? So she was born on the Monday lunchtime and then we left on the Thursday lunchtime. How did that feel? Amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Just so, just mental, though. You have this tiny, <laughs> tiny baby in a car seat and you're walking out of the hospital, that feeling that every parent's gone through of just, oh, my God, we're on our own. But also you've gone through something massive. Yeah. So, like, the world looks different outside. Completely different, yeah. You sort of go in as one person and come out as a completely new person. Your life has changed forever. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. And what was it like getting home? It was just the best feeling, to be honest, getting home and knowing that now it was completely our responsibility and that, you know, we doing everything we can possible from now on for yeah. her to have the best possible life. Yeah. It's amazing. And what? how was that bubble? Broken quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that afternoon, so my mum and dad had come down from Cardiff sort of on the Tuesday maybe. Right. And so I really wanted to just get out of the flat and go for a walk. And so um, I couldn't walk very far, but we all went out and walked along the beachfront for I think we must have walked for about five minutes and I was like, okay, I think I'm done here. <laughs> but it was just amazing to get out and have Sienna in the pram and, yeah, my mum and dad were there and it was just really, really nice. And, yeah, I guess from then on it was just like everything we do now she comes with. She's yeah. part of everything. Yeah. Just that realisation. It was like, wow, we've got another person to have involved in everything we do. Yeah. And so how cool. has that been? Because you literally do travel <laughs> quite a fair bit. Now you've got a little baby with you. Yeah. You know, I was always adamant that carrying on with Cell GP and the British team and well, firstly, I wanted to breastfeed if I could. Yeah. And I was lucky that it all worked reasonably well. You know, I had some challenges here and there, but it worked. And my goal was always three months and then see. At three months, I went to my first LGP event to sort of suss it out, get on the boat, see if I felt okay. And How did that feel? Amazing. Did it? Yeah, it did. It did. Like, I was a different version of myself, for sure, because still got a whole heap of sort of baby body. And yeah. um, I looked very different when I look back on camera. And I'm like, oh, God, I look so different. My mind wasn't sharp. And so all of those things. But just to go out there, be part of the team, integrate Sienna and Nick with the new way of doing things mm. and how it was going to be and figure out the breastfeeding. And, yeah, it was just such an amazing journey, actually, that first trip away. It was in Singapore, so it was quite far. Yeah. Um, a whole learning experience. And I did get on the boat and I did race that weekend. It was quite light wind. Did you have to do anything in preparation before getting on the boat? Because th within that three months, yeah. that's a very small window. It is, you know, especially after a C-section. The first six weeks, you, you can't, can't do, do a lot yeah. at all other than you know a bit of walking and a bit of... Um... Lift up the baby. Yeah, eventually. exactly. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. So actually, earlier on, 
there's not a lot out there for people wanting to get back to competitive sport. Yeah. And so I did a lot of digging into resources from my Olympic career with the British Sailing Team and the English Institute of Sport and with the GP doctor and kind of brought together this little group of people to, to really look at how I could come back in the best way possible in the safest way possible. And so went and found a paternity physio and I don't know what her title was, but something like that. So she could check my abs to see how, because they obviously split apart when, yeah. when you're pregnant and have a baby and then how much they needed to come back together and just to understand, I guess, where my body was at. Yeah. So we could tell you the, the training around that. So we looked at all that and then it was very much, okay, what are the movements I need to be able to do and what's the process to check that I can do that before I actually go and get on the boat because mm. particularly when you're breastfeeding, all your ligaments and everything are a lot more flexible and, yeah. and, and looser. And so the possibility of like twisting a knee or rolling an ankle is, is much higher. And in GP, that is quite a high possibility if you're not ready for it. So it was all things around strapping of the knees and ankles just to give that extra support. And the conditions were really imperative. You know, if it was windy, I was, there was no way I was going on the boat really? because it's, you know, the G-force, like you said, and it's just much riskier. But in Singapore, we knew it was probably going to be quite a light wind venue. So it's just all a bit slower and, a, you know, you can kind of take your time a little bit. <laughs> so it's kind of the perfect... No, your brain, though. Your no, brain's not to be the, sharp. <laughs> the brain, yeah. The brain was another one, um, another topic. But but yeah, just the planning that went into coming back in the best way possible. Yeah. Even simple things, like I read that you'd said about with breastfeeding, making sure that you feed or at least express before getting on that boat because of that oh like, God, feeling. Yeah. Like, I just, my boobs instantly burned at the thought oh, of it. They do, don't they? Mine did too. That sort of knowing of like handing over the milk to Nick as yeah. I was about to go out, it was like, oh my God. And then that weird feeling, you know, when they fill back up and you're yeah. like, oh my God, what's just happened? Yeah, that happened a few times <laughs> on the water. And I was like, oh. oh at God. least, you know, if there's a leak situation, you'll be like, I just got stuck water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But like, you know, it's simple things like we have these team tents where the boat's in and we have team containers and sort of a communal area that we'd all sit around to look at the telly and debrief and chat about the racing. And I'd be sat there just before we were going sailing when the coach was giving the team chat. I'd be sat there expressing. Yeah. And all the guys were just, they were amazing. You know, not once was it, did I feel awkward or uncomfortable or out of place? And I'd go to the back of the container and have a chair and I'd feed Sienna when I got back in. And that was right by the fridge where everyone would go and get a drink. And so mm -hmm. they'd all come along. I'd be facing the other way, but they'd all come along and still chat to me. And yeah. just little things like that made it feel so normal and accepted. And just, yeah, it was just amazing. It was so good. I love that. And Nick's obviously an athlete as well. Yeah. How has that been, having two very driven people in the house? Well, so Nick retired from Olympic windsurfing after Rio 2016, and then he went coaching. So he coached for that whole Tokyo Olympic cycle. And then he took up a job, kind of his dream job, actually, with the British sailing team, coaching their windsurfers. Mm. So he'd, he'd been with Japan for the Tokyo cycle, coaching, and then, yeah, got the job with the British in October like after the Games. It was his, his dream job and he absolutely loved it. But I remember it was about a year later when we'd had Sienna and we were planning our calendar for the next year and we put everything down. I remember feeling sick. I was just like, this is horrific. Like, we're never going to see each other. I'm going to have to have a nanny that brings Sienna. That's not what we want yeah. you know that's not the life we want at this point in time like we want to spend as much time with each other and Sienna as we can Nick's got two older boys two mm. are 11 and 14 and you know he wanted to see them more and and for them to be as involved as possible with Sienna and so all of these things we were like this is not the life we want yeah 
And so Nick took kind of big decision to step back from his coaching role so that he could come and make everything possible for me, yeah. which was just like, yeah, it was insane. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. incredible. It was cool. It was like, right, well, this really is the modern way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's been unbelievable. And he loves it. Oh, my really? God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like he had two or three months wobble of just, oh, who am I? What am I doing now? Like any mum probably that yeah. goes through that is trying to figure out their identity. He had exactly the same. And so I was just tried to support him through that and, you know, figure out what we could do to kind of bring his old self back into what he's doing and, and all of these things, that whole process and journey. And now, yeah, he's just absolutely loving it. Identity must be a massive thing because you must get that as an athlete and you definitely get that as a parent, you mm. know, in those early stages of kind of going, I don't know who yeah. I am right now. And, you know, I think the person that you were before feels like such a distant memory. So it's great that you've got each other there to kind of go through that. Uh, completely, because we both had phases of that for sure. Yeah. Just like, who am I now? What yeah. am I doing? How is it going to work? All the fearful questions that you don't have answers to always, but you muddle through yeah. and you talk about it and you make it work as best you possibly can. How has be becoming a mum affected you as an athlete? Oh, I think it's made training a bit harder. <laughs> it's the first thing that seems to get It's the dropped. heavy boots, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's made training a bit harder. Um, I've been so organised. I've really? never been so organised in my life. Yeah, because I'm so adamant about protecting my time with Sienna and making sure that she is there as much as possible and I can be a mum as much because I love it. I never thought I'd love it this much and I feel incredibly, I've said lucky about a million times today, <laughs> but I do, like I really do because you don't know how you're going to feel and I was always a bit fearful of how it was going to be afterwards and how I would feel and yeah, since I remember like day two of her being at home, I was just in tears about the thought of her growing up. And just like, Nick was like, are you all right? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> um, and it's the same now. I just, yeah, every moment I want to be with her. And so to be able to be with her as much as I am is a real privilege. I love it. You said before about, you know, that when you're training, you've got half an hour more of this and then you're done. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that the time that you have dedicated to it, you are more on it than ever? Yeah, efficiency it's just like a whole new life. I'm sure all mums feel the same. You're like, oh my God, I never knew I could be so productive and efficient as I am now I've got a baby or a child. And so, yeah, everything is like, right, boom, boom, boom. It's like today coming up to London, it's like, right, well, how many things can I get in to make the day as productive as possible so then I can get home and, you know, have a bit more time the rest of the week with Sienna doing other things that I can do from home. Yeah. It's just, yeah, thinking ahead, planning, being organised, um, <laughs> which is quite new for me. I'm not the most sort of organised person. Are you not? Not really. I'm quite spontaneous and kind of, yeah, very much like I will sort things out as they come and deal with them. And with the Olympics, you obviously plan a lot, but mm. the, the rest of my life outside that has never been like that. It's funny because uh, one of the podcast that's gone out today, actually, with Leanna Bird, we talk a lot about the fact that when you're planning a family, you think about this little baby that's going to be in your life. The things that you don't think about is the domesticated side of motherhood and the logistical side, which there's so much planning and the other stuff that comes along with being a mum. Yeah. Like, oh, breastfeeding was just ridiculous. I remember just crying and crying and crying like maybe six weeks in because I just felt like all I was doing was feeding Sienna and I was like how will I ever do anything again yeah. I can't there's no time <laughs> you know and the demand was just unbelievable yeah. but 
you get into your routine and you get the rhythm and process and actually she starts to feed more and so the time between is more and suddenly you can see again and you're like oh my god actually there is life Mm. and life will get better life will become slightly more normal it keeps moving it keeps moving exactly and then I got to three months which was my original target for feeding and and I was like, gosh, I've just got into this. Like, I've just figured it out. That was the same, yeah. Um, then I was like, right, I'll get to six months and see how we feel then. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it just evolves. It can always evolves. And there's always a new challenge. But there's always something that makes you smile. Yeah, I love that. I mean, how important has it been to you to see other athletes stepping away, becoming mums, and then coming back? I guess Jessica Ennis Hill is a prime example. example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredibly inspirational, actually. I think for anyone in a career where they're, you know, really trying to strive forward and make a name for themselves and to see elite level athletes at that level, having a baby and coming back, I think is just mega, Mm. you know, and and the challenges and it's hard. And for me, you know, obviously seeing Jessica way before I probably thought I was going to have a baby. But then whilst I was pregnant, you know, there's a few other athletes, Eleanor Barker, a cyclist who had a baby six months before me and a few other athletes. It was just talking to some of them and hearing about their experiences. And yeah, there's been a really cool little network actually of athlete females chatting about it and helping each other figure it out. Yeah. Which has been very cool. That's very, very good. If you could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would you say? I think I'd write it to myself <laughs> and probably just to say, don't be scared. Don't be scared of the challenges and you know how it might affect your life in all the different ways and just try and enjoy the journey because yeah. it is a journey and it's a huge journey and you know it's incredibly challenging in many ways and incredibly amazing and you know I look back on my athletic sailing career and I look back at having Sienna and there's no comparison for me it's like that's the best thing I've ever done but I'd never have thought that at 10 11 to like 20 yeah. 25 I'd never think that but what she's given to me is just yeah everything and finally we finish with you completing three sentences the first one is being a mum means Less sleep. (laughs) It it means everything. It really does. Yeah, I feel just so lucky. Since having a child, I? I've never been so (laughs) organised. I'm liking this theme with you because you are someone who I would imagine is really organised, but it turns out you're not at all. No, no, never been so (laughs) organised. And I'm happy when? Oh, Sienna falls asleep on me. And that was the best bit of advice I got given. That was actually by Eleanor Barker. Was he that first four months when they're just tiny little dots and they eat and they sleep was not to sort of feel like you have to put her down when she sleeps and, you know, do all of these routines and get her into a routine. Like she'll find her routine, Mm. but just enjoy the cuddles and the sleep. And when she sleeps on you, let her sleep on you and enjoy it. And... I remember her saying that before I'd had Sienna and I was like, yeah, 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 sure. And then when I had her and you do feel pressure to kind of get her into this routine and get the sleep all sorted and X, Y and Z. I know people always say, you can run for your own back. Yeah, Yeah. totally. I remember that advice and I did just embrace it. It was the best advice. So, yeah, anyone listening, I would completely say that is that first four months in particular. Just enjoy all those sleeps and cuddles. Yeah, It doesn't matter. They'll find their way. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been amazing.
we have something very exciting to talk about today. Happy mum, happy baby. Well, we are expanding. We're only releasing our very first record. Yes, Move Over McFly, Move Over Tom Fletcher. It's all about happy mum, happy baby. We're going into music, people. We have teamed up with Decca Records and LifeScore to build a one-stop shop for quality, trustworthy, educational music for baby, toddler and parent. Music is such a massive part of our family and I'm so thrilled with what we've created. I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, it's worth saying that all the sounds on the album, they are played by real instruments and they feature real nature sounds. There is nothing processed, it is all organic. And all of the music aims to be enjoyable listening experience for both the child and the parent. No plonky plonky piano, it's all just beautiful musicians with their instruments. Honestly, it's a joy to listen to. We all know the number one rule for getting your little one to sleep is to stick to a trusted routine. And my hope with this album is that our creation can be a part of that and make bedtime an easier transition for all. The Ultimate Baby Sleep album is here and it encompasses three parts of baby sleep. And it runs in three sections. Wind down, going to sleep and staying asleep. Running seamlessly from top to bottom for the ultimate baby sleep experience. And each section lasts around 30 minutes. So let's delve into each section and tell you what they're about. The wind down is a perfect calming music for bath time and any other pre-bed activity. This encourages special bonding time between parent and baby to prepare sleep. The melodies I've chosen to feature within the music have a very special place within my own experience of sleep routine. I loved singing little ditties or little lullabies and, and this, it's just got that lovely, gentle, melodic feeling to it. The melodies can be easily hummed by parents to capture the bonding power of a parent's voice. And actually, as you listen to the music, you might even catch a few melodies of some traditional classics that were just... Ah, oh, they just fill my heart with such love. The next section we have is called Going to Sleep. How we created this was so interesting and I absolutely loved the recording process to kind of really feel that breath actually of the musicians as they were playing. It also features natural sounds and it entwines the lullabies from the previous wind down to encourage baby to nod off at their own pace and in a relaxed state of mind. And those two sections, they kind of work together and they build. We've found that this is the ideal transition for baby to acknowledge that it is now time to go to sleep. And then the next section, the final section, is during sleep or staying asleep. I like to call it staying asleep because that's the dream, people. But it provides 30 minutes of natural and environmental white noise derived from nature sounds. And then actually this leads into an additional nine and a half hours of natural white noise for babies to prefer continuous white noise once asleep. No waking up in the middle of the night to press a little button on a sheep. Not anymore. There's been so much thought and love poured into these tracks. We've gone through so many different versions. I've pulled on the music that I love, that makes me feel nice and calm. And together with LifeScore and Decca Records, we've really created something that I feel is really magical. I've played it to my kids. They love it. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Could you imagine they didn't? And actually, I have to say that even as an adult, sitting at my desk and listening to different versions, I have often fallen asleep in the best way, in a very contented way. Some might call it work, some might call it a nice little nap. 
Either way, I loved it and it was all because of this album. With 12 hours of continuous music to help your baby sleep through the night, we are so proud to introduce you to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, The Sleep Album. I can't wait for you to hear it and then for you to tell me how you're getting on. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 